So we are continuing our sermon series uh, called Face to Face with Jesus. And these are uh, accounts from the Bible where people had face to face, face to face encounters um, with Jesus. <laughs> and, uh, you know, one of the neat things about that is that in our Christian faith, we believe that Jesus is the visible expression of the invisible God. So we get to learn, learn a lot about God by looking at Jesus and we got we learn a lot about God's feelings towards us or his thoughts towards us and how he interacts with us um, by the way we see Jesus interacting with people during his time uh, here on earth and so we're going to look at a passage this morning normally we would start with a like a kind of a story to grab your attention but this story will grab your attention on its own and so we're just going to jump into the scriptures we're in Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20 and uh we are looking at a passage where Jesus comes face to face with a demoniac or the other way around. A demoniac comes face to face with Jesus. So uh, let's look at that together. Mark chapter five. Um, Mark's account tells us that they went across the lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee, to the region of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus got out of the boat, A man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of the voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on a uh, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down a steep bank into the lake where they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what happened. And when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons, sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let me pray before we get into the message this morning. Uh, Gracious Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for these accounts and scriptures where we get to see who you are. And um, Lord, your word is it's living, active, sharper than any double edged sword, penetrates even soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart. 
And Lord, we pray that your word would have its work in our hearts and in our minds today as we reflect on this passage, that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, um, that you would teach us and uh, mold in us hearts that are uh, of deep worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this scene uh, described here, obviously pretty surreal. Um, Jesus and his disciples just crossed the Sea of Galilee uh, from the west side, and then they're going over to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Gerasenes. And as they arrive on shore, it's a crazy scene. Uh, You can imagine them, disciples and Jesus pulling ashore on their boat. Jesus gets out, disciples get out, and this man comes running toward Jesus. And we're told that this man is demon-possessed. We're told that he has scars on his body because he takes stones and cuts himself and scrapes himself with them. We're told that he lived a solitary life among the tombs of the dead people. And uh, so we imagine this guy's just living outdoors, unshaved, no haircut. I mean, just a wild-looking man. Uh, Luke's gospel tells us He has an account of this story, too. And this man is naked. He doesn't have any clothes in. So this wild, dirty, naked man running toward Jesus. um, And uh, he's unkept. And, uh, you know, just not not just a regular dude running up to Jesus to say, hey, welcome to Gerasene. You know, it's like scary scene here. Other interesting details were given about this man's history is that people saw this man as a danger. And he was very uh, physically strong. These demons gave him like a supernatural strength. And so they would chain him, uh, his ankles, his, his wrists, um, and that he would, he would get this supernatural strength and break those and free himself. We're told that day and night he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The crying out day and night, as I reflected on this passage, I wondered, is that the demons crying out or is that his voice beneath the demons crying out in the night for just help, you know, suffering. So Jesus, as Jesus and his disciples arrive on the shore, man comes running up. And uh, can you imagine having been one of the disciples of Jesus getting out of the boat and just seeing this man running toward you? First of all, um, I think I'd probably like, okay, everyone back in the boat. (laughs) We're not welcome here. You know, would probably be my first reaction. Um, Second, how does this guy know who Jesus is? Jesus, son of the most high God. Like, they never, I don't think they've been around and met this guy before. It sounds like a first encounter. Uh, Thirdly, as you read the passage uh, prior to this one, in all three accounts, in uh, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, they all have this story. And right before this happens, the, when they're arriving on the lake, the night before was when the, when they were caught in the storm and it was almost flooded. And Jesus said, quiet, be still and calm that storm. So they're getting out the next day after having experienced that supernatural experience with Jesus. And now as they watch, would Jesus, who had the authority to calm the raging storm at sea with the command of his voice, quiet, be still, Would he now have the power to still the storm raging inside of this man who's possessed by demons? We're told that when the man reaches Jesus, he falls on his knees before Jesus and he shouts, what do you want with me, son of Jesus, son of the most high God in God's name? Don't torture me. 
In response, Jesus demands to know the name of the demon in control of this man. And it's revealed that it's not just one demon controlling this man. It's a legion of demons. A legion back in Jesus' day referred to like a Roman uh, group, uh, about 5,000 soldiers, a force that strong. And they're saying we are a legion. And that's that's the name we go by because we occupy the territory of this man. But the story gets even creepier. Um, Strangely, this legion of demons negotiates with Jesus, right? Uh, Don't send us out of the region. One of the other accounts says, don't send us into the abyss. But let us be sent into this herd of pigs. And Jesus, you know, it's kind of a mystery why he let them do that. But he permits them to. And the next thing you know, 2,000 pigs on the hill go trampling down the hillside or, or what do you call it? It's like a stampede of 2,000 pigs and they go into the lake and they drown. Imagine 2,000 dead pigs floating in the water. Imagine the farmers going, what the heck just happened? Um, I can't imagine, you know, like that scene of the the farmers just watching all this. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, what's going on with the pigs over there? You know, and then they just rush down. They've never seen anything like that before. Supernatural. They're just afraid when they see it. It's that kind of supernatural. Um, It was an eerie scene, a supernatural scene here on the shore of the lake, a scene most of us will probably never uh, encounter except maybe in a nightmare or a scary movie. And we'd be glad to keep it that way, right? We don't, I wouldn't want to be seeing something like that or be in the presence of that. That would be pretty crazy. But how do we relate this passage to us? I mean, the supernatural, this demonic, this kind of thing. Um, In Western culture or in a lot of cultures today, um, it's not all that often, if at all, that we encounter evil in such a flagrant, outright form, right? Um, Not like we see in this passage. How many of you have ever seen anything like like this, you know? So it begs the question, what does it have to do with us? Well, um, evil or the supernatural realm, um, while it may not be as blatantly out there like that in our lives in the way that we see in this passage, it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, right? Just because it doesn't look like that in our lives, it, it can take on other forms. It doesn't mean that evil spirits and forces aren't at work around us just because we can't see it so flagrantly like we do in this passage. Scriptures make clear to us that our human existence is impacted not only by this material world and encounters that we have, but there's the spiritual realm that affects our existence as well. Ephesians chapter six. A lot of you know this passage. It says this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus and reminding them. I don't know if they need a reminder, but just telling them, hey, Our struggle as believers and followers of Jesus, it's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. There's a spiritual battle going on in the unseen world. I don't know if you guys have read any of Frank Peretti's stuff, you know, this present darkness stuff. kind of imagines, you know, what that might look like in the unseen. It's, it's a really good book. First um, Peter five, eight says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 
So here we have Paul, the apostle. We have Peter, who was with Jesus, telling us the spiritual realm and the work of evil in the world is real and to be careful. Now, these are just a couple of descriptions of the presence of uh, Satan and evil in the world that we find in Scripture. And while these passages, oftentimes they sound to people um, like a world of superstition or make-believe, it would be wise for us to consider that, you know, it's only been in the last like 150, 200 years of of human civilization on this earth. And then we go way back, you know, like thousands of years, but only in the last 200 years that... um, that the Western culture today, a lot of it um, doesn't recognize the supernatural, Satan, the devil, evil. But prior to that, cultures all around the world, uh, may, they may not call it the devil, but they acknowledge the spiritual realm and they acknowledge evil. Um, back in 2013, there was an interview by New York, New York Magazine, Supreme Court uh, Justice Antonin Scalia. He's passed, but um, he was having this interview with this this uh, woman from New York Magazine about the subject evil, evil, and he brought up the subject of the devil. And the interviewer kind of looked at him like, "Are you really like we're talking about this? Like the devil, you know?" And he says to her, "You're looking at me as though I'm weird. My God, are you so out of touch with most of America? Most of which believes in the devil. Most of mankind has believed in the devil for all of history. Many more intelligent people." then you or me have believed in the devil. You know, this guy's a Harvard law grad. He, he was a professor at UVA. He's a member of the Supreme Court of the United States. Very rational, sensible, intelligent man. And, and yet he acknowledges the existence of the devil. He's like, who am I to, to doubt like what humanity and every culture has recognized for the past thousands of years of human existence? The worldview of scripture challenges us to acknowledge this, the the presence and reality of the realm of Satan and evil, and that evil has a power in this world and has an agenda in this world. Um, There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that that talks about this, just the acknowledgement of it. And he says, there's two things we can make a mistake of, uh, people can make a mistake of when it comes to believing in the devil or in evil in this world. He says there uh, are two equal opposite errors into which our human race can fall about devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. Because like, how, how stoked is Satan about that? You're like, I'm not even the raider for him, so I can work in the background without them even knowing, because they don't even believe in me. So I could wreak havoc you know, in their lives or separate them from Christ or whatever, in whatever way, because they don't believe in me. So that's one error, disbelief. The other is to believe an excessive uh, and feel an ex- excessive, unhealthy interest in them. And, uh, you know, being obsessed with, with the supernatural. We are to believe in it, we're to acknowledge it, but we're not to like, just be obsessed and, and paranoid of it either. And, and C.S. Lewis says the devil's happy with either one, non-belief at all, or people who are obsessed with it because he can kind of take advantage of that. So... Um, Scripture challenges us to acknowledge this realm and to say it's there, you know, and not ignore it, not to just brush it off as if it's, it's non-existent. It, it exists. And uh, regarding the, this agenda that Satan and that evil have in this world, I think it's summed up pretty well in John 10, 10, where Jesus says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. 
And uh, Satan's agenda is to steal uh, God's people from him or people from knowing him to kill. That could be physical death. That could be spiritual death and to destroy us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally. He's got this agenda that he's he's at work in the world. And and Peter's saying, hey, he rolls uh, around like a prowling lion, destroying people, destroying churches, destroying, dividing people, dividing families, marriages, nations, you know. Um, there are people who prefer to ignore or minimize the presence of evil. Maybe they're just uncomfortable with it and I just rather not think about that. Maybe they fear it and they're rather not think about it and avoid it. Maybe they rationalize it. Oh, that's just superstition. I'll follow Jesus, the morals and all that stuff, but I don't believe in the supernatural, the devil, evil. But let me give, give you just a few examples where you might be able to open your mind to the idea, if, you, if you're a doubter, like to the idea that um, dark and evil forces are at work in this world and in our lives. On a personal level, in dark, lonely moments when you've thought vengeful, hateful, murderous thoughts towards someone who you're ticked off at, made you angry, um, you think the devil might not be present in that moment. Um, Moments of deep self-hatred, self-harm, um, self-pity. It's a dark place if, when people are in those places. And I have no doubt that Satan's going, okay, I'm, I'm there too. Um, dark moments when you've thought it would be easier to end your life than to continue it. Um, how about moments of perverse thoughts that just pop up in your mind? And you're like, where did that come from? Moments when you're out of control, you felt possessed and bound in patterns of destructive behavior that you repeatedly do and that destroy your relationships and your life. Moments where you hate the people you love and you love the things that you know that you're supposed to hate. You think that Satan is not present in those moments and in those circumstances. Is it so far off to believe that evil is there and that he's come to steal, kill, and destroy in all of those circumstances. Other places beyond the personal, um, the agenda of Satan to steal, kill, and destroy on a larger level, wars between nations, murders, rape, genocide, sex trafficking, do you think evil is not present? It's so dark. It's dark stuff. Now, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that people who experience these things um, are demon possessed. What I am saying is that most of us would agree that evil is at work in those places. It doesn't mean you have to cast out a demon in every one of those circumstances, but evil is at work. And it may not be a demon, but, it, but it's the influence, it's the oppression, it's the... Uh, work of Satan that's bringing that, that stealing, killing, and destroying. And in our passage this morning, um, with the man possessed by demons, we're just seeing uh, a more flagrant manifestation of evil, more flagrant than what we're probably familiar with. Now, as we look at the passage and reflect on all this, it would be easy to leave a passage like this to see a demon-possessed man and just get creeped out about the supernatural, but that is, that's, I don't think that was ever the intention of um, the gospel writers who included this in their 
accounts of Jesus' life. Like, why did they put it in there? And you can speculate. Uh, for me, um, I think Mark, Matthew, Luke included this in their um, gospel so that we might find hope, that we might find encouragement, um, not fear. Um, and we find encouragement and hope from this passage when we witness the way we're able to find, we could go from it scared, but the way we go from it with hope and encouragement is we see the power and authority that Jesus had over evil, over Satan, over these demons, and over his agenda in this man's life. Because by his power and authority, people are able to experience deliverance from the influence of Satan and evil in their lives. And the way that we can experience this hope and deliverance is by acknowledging Jesus's authority in two ways. So we're going to look at those two ways. First, we acknowledge uh, Jesus's authority, um, his authority in two ways. And the first one is his authority over evil. Um, we see in this passage incredible. He arrives on the shore. Demon comes running. First words out of the demon's mouth are. What do you want with me, son of the most high God? Jesus, son of the most high God. Um, when this man ran at Jesus again, it wasn't like a friendly encounter. It was an aggressive approach. But once this man or this demon recognized who Jesus was, he recognized um, he, that was, this, uh, this is the wrong guy to try and bully. And the, the demons were like, oh, crap. Like, you know, probably a worse word. But like, they were like, oh, man, like, whoa, wait a minute. This is Jesus. This isn't just somebody passing through. This is Jesus Son of the Most High God. And in the supernatural realm, they knew who they were coming face to face with. Son of the Most High God. They knew they didn't have a chance. And once they recognized who Jesus is, the only posture that they could have, this evil, this, these demons, is submission and fear. Listen to their words. What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't. Don't torture me. We're at your mercy. You could destroy us. You could send us into the abyss. Have like, kind of like have mercy on us. Let us go into those pigs. Like, because whatever you say is going to happen. But what we're hoping is that you just let us, you know, submission, fear. This powerful legion of demons face to face with Jesus reduced to a posture of begging. In the history of the world, um, can you... I don't, I couldn't, and I went on the Google, you know, Google knows everything, but I went on Google and I was just trying to find like, is there any other person that has walked this earth that when, when evil encounters it, it cowers in fear the way it did before Jesus. In submission and in fear. Anywhere in history when evil sees a human being and says, Jesus, son of the most high God. It identifies the person trying to get rid of that evil as the son of the most high God. It doesn't exist. Um, where else in history is there a record of evil spirits cowering before Jesus this way? And so when you sense evil, maybe at work, in your marriage, in your children, in your, um, I'd say on Facebook, you know, like all the divisiveness and all that stuff. And maybe it's getting into you and maybe you're recognizing, man, I'm just getting dragged into this like, you know, we have been given a relationship with the one 
who has authority over that evil's work in our lives. And we have been given, and we see in scripture that we can call upon the name of Jesus and that that name is the name above all names. And at, just as it cowered before the presence of Jesus, evil cowers in fear at the name of Jesus. And we can speak to that and we can rebuke that in, in, in our circumstances when we feel that evil and that darkness trying to have a work in our lives or in the lives of those we love. Um, I do it often, you know, like I'm like, that evil thought comes in my head, that weird thought. I'm like, where did that come? I'm like, get behind me, Satan. In Jesus' name, I command you to get out. You know, pray that over my kids. You know, I just, Satan, you have no place here. In Jesus' name, I tell you, get out of here, you know. Um, speaking it out loud. That's what we're taught in scripture. So we've been given the authority to speak with Jesus' name and the authority that that carries against evil's work in our lives and in the lives of those we love. The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's his agenda. But we, we acknowledge Jesus as the one who loves us and who has the power and authority over his, uh, Satan, Satan's agenda. First step, acknowledging Jesus' authority. Accompanying this is a second way we have to acknowledge Jesus' authority, and that's acknowledging his authority over, not just over evil, but over our personal lives. Um, to know the hope and deliverance in the face of evil, we accept Jesus' authority in our lives. And in this passage, um, we see that, that there's different ways that people respond to Jesus' authority. The demons fear cowering. People from the town mystified and just like, okay, this supernatural power, please leave because we're scared of, of this. But then there's the man who was delivered from the demon possession. This man experiences Jesus' power authority and we see um, he not only acknowledges Jesus' identity as the son of God, but he goes a step, in, step further in acknowledging Jesus' authority in his life and he surrenders his life to following Jesus. We're told in, in verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who was demon possessed begged to go with Jesus and the disciples in the boat as they got back in. Jesus did not let him, but said, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you how he has had mercy on you. The man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. So while physically he was not um, able to follow Jesus, his life was surrendered to Jesus. And he said, you want me to go tell people and give my testimony about what you've done, I'm going. And he goes into the 10 cities in that region and tells people and people are amazed. Um, that's part of submitting to Jesus's authority that um, not only is authority over you, but his authority over us. It's like, share your story. Remember your story. Tell what God has done in your lives. I mean, I think if you sat down and maybe it's your homework this week, you know, think, reflect on what the Lord has brought you out of or what the Lord has brought you through or what he has delivered you from or even the people around you that you can just thank God for working in their life or my life, you know, and just remembering and recognizing and, and sharing that with other people when you have opportunity. So this man does that. He surrenders his life to Jesus' will. Um, his faith, loyalty, and devotion from this point forward, we can imagine, is like, he changed my life. He delivered me. I'm, I believe who he is. His faith and loyalty was to Jesus. While he didn't follow him geographically, 
spiritually in his heart. He believed in Jesus, who he was, and followed him as best he could. And the question for us is, have we acknowledged Jesus' authority in our lives? As, have we acknowledged his identity as son of the Most High God? And I know that's a tough thing to digest. I mean, over years, I'm still trying to grasp that. You know, I believe it, but I'm like, I want to believe more. Like, what does it mean that he's the son of God? And what does that imply for my relationship with him and how I follow him? Because that's a pretty deep concept or thing, you know, like anyway. um, Have you acknowledged his authority in your life, his identity and his authority? Um, Recognizing Jesus's authority over evil isn't enough. Um, James 2.19, you believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Belief in God, in Jesus, isn't enough. Knowledge of who God isn't enough. We have to take steps of faith to surrender our lives and accept him as authority in our lives. So what does that look like, submitting to Jesus' authority? Um, One of those things is kind of obvious. And I don't hear a lot of churches talk about this, so this is why I'm talking about this today. And I've had encounters with some weird stuff. And so I'm like, this needs to be talked about because there's probably some people out there who have had these encounters too. So the first thing is acknowledging authority in our lives. One of, the, one of the things it means is guarding ourselves from or refraining from false hope in spiritual sources that aren't the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, you can open up yourself to evil and to the spiritual realm and particularly the demonic if you get involved in things that are Spiritual, but outside of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, hope in other things. And I think people get involved in the occult and in other things. It's because um, they're looking for an alternative. Well, Jesus didn't work for me. God didn't work for me. Or I just reject that. And I'm choosing to get involved in this stuff so that I might have some sort of power, or some sort of knowledge in, in my life that is beyond my own power. And so um, getting involved in the occult getting involved in uh, with mediums or seances or Ouija boards or um, Wiccan stuff or those sorts of things. Um, my grandfather in Hawaii used to say, I don't mess with the sea, the sea don't mess with me. You know, like he would throw garbage in the ocean or whatever. And it wouldn't mess with him. He would never drown or sharks would get him. Or that was his belief. But I believe you don't mess with the spiritual world. You don't open yourself up to it. It's most likely it's not going to mess with you. And... Um, I'm not going to get into it. I've got stories. But when I was in Costa Rica, a couple came to church. Some friends that Stacy knew, talked to him after church, got in an argument with his wife. Wife falls on the floor, starts speaking in another voice, yelling, cussing out, insulting her husband. And they're like, can you come and cast whatever is in her out of her? Talking to her a little more. Have you ever been involved in the occult? Have you involved in things? Yes, Santeria. Yes, uh, ayahuasca and visiting the dead, you know, stuff like that. And so she was experiencing demonic possession because of her open, opening herself to that. Got more stories, too. That's just one. It's real. It's out there. It may not be president white, or present so much in white suburban America, but it's out there. And, uh, and maybe it is, and I just don't see it, you know. So submitting to, to Jesus' authority is saying, hey, I reject that stuff. I follow Jesus. My hope is in him. I don't put it in any of that other stuff. Submitting to Jesus' authority also means guarding your heart um, from sin. And what I mean by this is I've, I've heard of and I've seen the effects that things like 
bitterness and resentment and anger um, and, and can have in a person's life. And when you have unforgiveness stored in your hearts, um, it can wreak havoc in your heart and in your soul and in your life. One of the places I've seen that, and I don't think it's, I'm not picking on anybody, but in a lot of the, the rehabilitation stuff and alcoholism and things like that, but at the root, a lot of times of what they're dealing with is, is a lot of resentment and anger and stuff, and it destroys their lives. A thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy. The way they're coping with that wrecking of their soul is, is they're self-medicating through the things that they have, and they become addicted. And so... Um, guarding ourselves from from those sorts of things. And it's not just the things on the outside, the addiction or the outward form. It's also the thing on the inside, the resentment, the anger, the bitterness or whatever. And maybe there's a forgiveness that needs to place. Maybe it's even a confession of of a hidden sin that needs to take place, but it can manifest itself and allow Satan to have uh, an evil to have its work in wrecking your life. I would add to this calling on Jesus authority. We've talked about that already. When you sense that evil, just speak it. Just I, re- I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get out. Satan, get behind me. You know, I just quote Jesus. You know, when, when I feel like the temptation or thought or darkness is around. Sometimes it's difficult to have the presence of mind to do that. But to do that is, is the authority we've been given and what the, the example we've given, given in Scripture. Um, the examples yeah, I gave earlier. Um, when you feel perverse thoughts or vengeful thoughts or moments of greed or moments of feeling arrogant, like, hey, get out of my head, you know? Um, Overindulgence and pleasure escape. Um, When you're out of control, you know, speaking into those moments against Satan's agenda and calling on the name of Jesus, Jesus. I mean, sometimes, (laughs) sometimes I'm just so freaked out. That's all you can say is just Jesus, Jesus saying his name. Um, I'm not saying, again, in every instance when we battle these temptations and struggles, that it's purely spiritual either. Um, there are, I, think, I believe in kind of a more holistic way that God made us, that we've got emotions, we've got mental health, we've got spiritual health. And so when we experience these things, I'm saying the first thing you do is pray. First thing you do is call in the name of Jesus. But sometimes those thoughts and behaviors are from wounds that have happened in our lives in the past that have caused maybe bitterness or anger or fear or things that it would be good for us to share with others. Maybe your pastor, maybe talk with a counselor and kind of have somebody come into your life to help you heal, not only spiritually, but but from those emotional wounds and from those mental uh, things that that it's done in the way that you think that may not be good or healthy. Um, So, all I'm saying is I, you guys have known probably in history, people have diagnosed mental disorders as demon possession. I think one can occur, the other can occur, but both can happen at the same time too. And so it's good to address it spiritually for sure, because we've been given that resources in Christ. We've been given that resource to, to have the, the speak the authority against it. But then we also need to address it on the mental and the emotional level too. Um, so, Back to the scene in this passage. While this scene this morning may not be something that we will encounter, or you might, <laughs> or might not, most likely it won't, um, the suffering that the demons imposed on this man's life is just, it's, to me, it's like a reminder to us that the devil and evil have an agenda in the world, and it is at work in the world. And at the same time, 
Uh, this passage also reminds us that there is an authority in this world that is greater than evil's agenda in this world. That authority's name is Jesus. And when we encounter moments of darkness and evil in our lives or in the lives of others, we've been given that name to do battle in the spiritual realm on, on our behalf and on the behalf of others. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, uh, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the reminder that um, a lot of the struggles we have aren't just matters of personality or physical, material, mental things, but they're also happen on the spiritual level. There is an evil one who is at work to steal, kill, and destroy. Lord, your greatest command is love one another. I believe that Satan's greatest agenda, one of them is just to divide one another then. If we're called to love one another, he's like, no, I want to destroy that love. I want to destroy those relationships between people who, who families, marriages, kids, uh, nations. I want to destroy love between people's relationship with you, Father, and them as your, as your children. Um, and Lord, we just pray against that in our marriages, in our lives, in our families. We pray against the, the, the agenda of evil and Satan. We pray against the agenda of evil, Satan, even on, on our church, in all churches. Um, with uh, COVID and the political division, Satan has wreaked havoc on the church. And Lord, we pray against that. We cast him out in the name of Jesus. And um, Lord, help us to love one another. Help us to be one. Help us to rebuild the church, rebuild our faith in, in the wake of um, the havoc he's wreaked in the church nationwide, worldwide. And Lord, um, help us to remember your authority in those private moments when we're struggling, when we feel darkness coming in, that we would call on the name of Jesus, that we would cast evil out in the name of Jesus. Amen.